0: The more i suppressed it the heavier it got right so i remember the counselor saying like if you hold like a glass of water for five minutes you're fine if you hold it for an hour your hand might hurt if you hold a glass for a whole day your hand would want to drop off you're like i can't hold it any longer and yeah. the glass weight hasn't changed but the longer you hold on to it it gets heavier and so the longer you hold on to any trauma from my understanding i'm not a psychologist but just personally i just felt like it just grew and then Because you already hurt, everything else hurts.
1: This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss and eternity. This is episode number 46 of Sparrows and Wildflowers. It's been a while since the last episode, so thanks for tuning in again. I'm really happy to be bringing you a conversation that I had late last year with Lena Lali. She's an amazing woman with a really unique story. Lena grew up in London in an Indian family and was part of the Sikh religion. We covered a lot of ground talking about her journey, including her battles with depression, dealing with abuse, her career, which has completely transformed in the last few years, and of course, her faith. And just a warning, this episode does address drug use, mental health and suicidal thoughts, and also sexual abuse. Her story is very profound and I hope it helps you. You can also follow Lena on Instagram. Check out her blog at crownedlena.com. That's C R O W N E D L E E N A.com. And she's also started a YouTube channel as well. But now, here is my conversation with Lena. Hope you enjoy it.
0: So, I grew up in London. And so I've lived in London all my life. So I grew up in an actual Sikh family, which is um, a religion where they believe in one God, but they have 10 prophets, almost like 10 gurus. And it's, it's kind of a spin-off religion from Hinduism mm-hmm. and Islam. So it's kind of like an in-between of both. So it doesn't have all the multiple gods like Hinduism, but it has um, um, like a monotheistic religion, like one God like Islam, and a covering of the head and bowing down kind of similar to Islam but it's only 300 years old.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. So it's, but it's the sixth major religion in the world. So I grew up in that kind of family. So my parents are British um, Indians and my grandfather came from India and he was in the British army. So he came over. My dad was two and my mom's been in England since she was 13. But they, we grew up in like an Indian community. So obviously I had lots of uncles and aunts that are like big, rich kind of bollywood indian family thing with loads of friends and family coming over that house full all the time yeah and i have um three sisters two older one younger and i've got lots of nieces and nephews everyone's in london so i grew up in like um well i would now looking back i didn't think it was quite an oppressive culture like a shame culture in the sense that um indian culture is very much about um we don't talk about anything which is also a British thing <laughs> we don't air our laundry we don't mm-hmm. tell people our business and it's shame it's such a shame to talk about anything so even within the house you don't talk about problems we don't discuss it we pretend everything's okay and if you've got something going on you just that's God's will because they believe in reincarnation oh yeah so they believe that um you lived a life before and the reason being so if you're suffering anything if, you've, if you if you're you lose your money in this life, it's because you must have been really bad with the money in last life, or you stole from someone. So that money's coming back off you now. Someone's stealing off you now.
1: Right. So you deserve it.
0: Right. You're deserving. And there's nothing you can do because it's your, uh, you're almost like your punishment you need to live in this life. Okay. So God brought you back into this life to, f- to make up for the mistakes you made. So you have to suffer that so you can live out this, the punishment, basically. Mm-hmm. So that includes if you were deaf or you had um, you had like loss of sight, you were blind. They were like, oh, you must have been a really bad person in your last life. That God blinded you in this lifetime. Okay. So pretty like intense. But um, we also like, do you think it's normal? So everyone talks about it like it is what it is. Like that's life. So that was the kind of culture really.
1: How does like compassion play out? in that kind of worldview,
0: I don't know. <laughs> like, looking back, like, I've been a Christian now five years. And I've been uh non, I was a non-Christian for like, almost 32 years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, I, don't, I don't know if there was compassion. It was just acceptance. Like, mm. this is it. And actually, it's better to accept it and not complain. And you should be grateful for what you do have. Okay. So there was this thing of, like, being grateful for food and, home and family because you could be on the streets so those people are worse off than us so you know you should be grateful for what you have there's always someone worse off so there was this like gratefulness um, and acceptance of your situation and just like don't wallow in it don't complain but it also was oppressive in the sense that you you don't discuss it so you just harbor the pain because you feel upset or you might feel a certain way but you're like there's no fixing it so there's no point talking about it
1: and was it predominantly happy childhood or were you harboring a lot of pain
0: um so obviously as a kid you don't know any different you only know your family environment so yeah um like looking back I did the normal things like you know I played with my sisters and we had like dolls and we had like doll houses and we had our teddy bears and stuff but um I actually faced trauma I faced um sexual abuse at the age of six six or seven and I, I don't even remember the full details, but I have PTSD which you know post-traumatic and um, trauma. I have some of that like where I would have flashbacks and I didn't realize because at six you don't know what's happening mm. um, and it was a like a family friend stroke uncle from yeah that was visiting and was staying with us for a season time and because we didn't discuss anything and it wasn't that it was that generation where you don't even really talk about sex education until you go to school and maybe they educate you around ten or eleven. When you're going through puberty and they kind of say your body's changing this is what happens but that's the first time it's introduced usually so you don't really feel the need to um, discuss it beforehand and obviously your par- you don't have a tv normally in your room so your parents monitor what you watch as a family so you you know you didn't think you have to really discuss that and the funny thing is my mum would be really protective of us going to anyone else's house So she was like, no, you can't go to and you can't stay the night at anyone's house. So she would be protective in that way not thinking that someone would come in their own home. But as a kid, I didn't even know it was happening, like what was happening or what that it was actually even wrong. So I ended up not talking about it until that whole sex education moment happened. And the nurse comes in and she explains your body changes and you go through a menstrual cycle. And then I was like, how do I know this? How do I know what a you know, genital area or men's genital area looks like? like I, how, where would i have seen it and then i was like 12 and 13 and you know trying to make sense i'm like where have i seen this i'm back. but i i've never seen it on TV and my mom my mom wouldn't even let us watch um, people kissing she would like okay change the channel now you oh, know really old <laughs> <laughs> She was like, they're snogging. She was like, what is this nonsense? Uh, like, quick change of channel. Like, I'm like, mom, it's just a kiss. Come. And like, she said, no, this is disgusting. What are they doing? <laughs> and especially, like, it would be like home and away neighbors. Like, one day she's kissing someone, the next day she's kissing someone else. Yeah. And she's like, what is this? This is, like, she's with everyone every day that she's got a new man. This is not, <laughs> this is, you know, unethical. Um, so, like, I just knew that we were so protected. So, like, I just couldn't make sense where I had these images in my head. It just right. didn't make... And then as I got older, I, I got more aware of, like, just life and, you know, aware of, like, sexuality and stuff. I was like, okay, there's no way a six, seven-year-old would have those images in her head. So I knew. And then as time went on, I think more and more flashbacks came up. And so I knew it had happened. But then I got... It was like I was 12 or 13. I was like, well, what do you do with that information? Mm. It's already happened. It's kind of in the past. Or you think, well, it's not happening now. Like, there's no point discussing it. Right. And so I kind of just got on with it. And I just thought, if I ignore it, you know, it will go away. Because, you know, it's not happening right now. And unfortunately, like, now, looking back, it was the worst thing to do. Because it just, it didn't go away. It actually just grew in terms of the trauma. Because you know, the more I suppressed it, the heavier it got.
1: Right.
0: Counselors, like, I did a lot of counseling. I remember the counselor saying, like... If you hold, like, a glass of water for five minutes, you're fine. If you hold it for an hour, your hand might hurt. If you hold a glass for a whole day, your hand would want to drop off. You're like, I can't hold it any longer. And the glass weight hasn't changed. But the longer you hold on to it, it gets heavier. And so the longer you hold on to any trauma, from my understanding, I'm not a psychologist, but just personally, I just felt like it just grew. And then because you already hurt, like, everything else hurts if your hand hurts and you burnt your hand like by accident on the GHGs as I do sometimes, (laughs) you know, like all you're thinking about all day is that hand, even though you're doing, you know, like it's just one part and it affects your whole body. So it just felt like, so if anything else happened, it was like, but I'm already hurt. Why are you, you know, I couldn't let go of that one hurt. So everything else just added to it. And also I didn't learn how to talk about things. Yeah. So I just got really good at just stuffing things in because that was, That became my default mode of coping.
1: Mm. And what did school look like for you? Was that a positive environment?
0: No, because my home wasn't positive. So I just felt like everything was an overflow. I was desperate to like making friends. But then when I would have friends, I'd reject them because I felt so fearful that anyone would find out and they'd know the real me. Like I felt like, I don't know, it sounds really crazy, but I felt like, like I was so dirty and like I was so messed up like I had this it's so crazy at a young age you know there's something wrong with you because of what had happened yeah to you? and also at the same time I had trauma like at home my mum had my mum went through a lot of things herself I think she went through a form of abuse and she grew up in a childhood where her mum passed away and she was raised by other people like uncles and aunties and she never really got support and then she went through a number of miscarriages and in re like I said about the reincarnation Mm. and so they used to say that she's cursed and she can't produce a a child she can't produce a son because it's like carrying on the family name so she had all this trauma and so she would take out her trauma on us it would just be an overflow so she would be violent at times and very abusive because she couldn't she would just overflow but for me that was normal like if you get into trouble you're gonna get a beating like it was just and to be honest if you in that time and age it was very common for people to spank kids and hit kids and it didn't, people would, wouldn't know what level, like it was extreme, but it was very common, especially in Asian culture. And I even speak to my friends who are Chinese or Thai background. They had similar upbringings or African. They're like, yeah, we would get, you wouldn't do it now. It's just culturally not acceptable. But at that time, 30 years ago, it was very common in those kind of ethnic minorities because they grew up with that culture. Yeah. So it was just the norm. Like that's how they were, had been parenting. Like, you know, it's discipline. I would sit in the hallways, even at late at night, I would read books, and my escapism was books, because I wasn't allowed a TV in my bedroom in those days, but I would just read books and be lost in these stories, and so that was my escapism, and I had this amazing imagination of just being in the story with all these characters, because I couldn't sleep at night, I had nightmares. So school was kind of great in the sense of, like, academically, I could just throw myself into the books, and but... I still struggle with relationships because it was a part of me that didn't know how to express myself couldn't let my guard down and be really real with anyone yeah didn't know how to even do that because I was just I knew I was hurting but I couldn't say anything so I was kind of trapped mm. within myself
1: did you have a lot of friends
0: um you know I went through a phase when I was younger because I think I was um quite shy and I went inwards naturally first and then I think I got rebellious around 13, I think I went, so I tried the kind of going quiet and then I think I rupted. And yeah. then I became really like a, a terrible teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and I would um, have like these crazy arguments and me and my sister would have these crazy fights over clothes, you know, the usual clothes and makeup and stuff. And, um, and then I think I became, and because I was academically bright, I was in all the top sets of like maths, English. So I became popular because I was known for being bright. Okay. So that made me popular because I had a, a reason, you know? And people would, like... And the teacher would often put me next to the person who was struggling with their work to help them so they I could pair with them. So they were, I was known for that. But I think in my last year or two, I I kind of got bullied because if you're... You naturally kind of, like... It's not that you attract it, but they can tell that there's something wrong. Like, you're not confident. And kids always want to pick on someone that's different. Mm. because they don't understand it so they're like oh what's her problem like she's I, we don't know what's going on with her but she's just not like us so I think looking back I was like I didn't know how to fit in because I couldn't I couldn't express myself so and even when I did say something I feel like I'd say it the wrong way I wasn't confident even in just like being myself did you
1: know what you wanted to do with your life did that bring you any kind of
0: I felt like um I wanted to I want to help people I always knew that Oh yeah. Like I always always say, like about you know you play the game. What would you do if you won the lottery?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like you know if you had ten million or whatever, I'd be like, I want to start a, a charity to for homeless people, which is so random, but um kind of similar to some of the stuff that I do at the moment, praying for people in the streets and, you know, I have such a heart for it. And actually, I have done a number of like volunteer stuff with Crisis in the UK and Mission Australia here and. Um, With church, I used to be on the street teams. So I interned at the street teams where we would go out in the community and pray for people and help people. And So, yeah, that was... um, And I I wrote down I wanted to be a teacher or a journalist. We have, like, this thing where, what do you be? And I did a degree in journalism. So I kind of, like, did some of that.
1: Okay. So you finished school. You went on to do journalism. Yeah. What did life look like?
0: At college and uni, I was, like, really popular. I just went a bit wild.
1: Like partying, partying
0: so hard. Like, uh, you know, in London, London's great for you know the nightlife. There's just endless. So, and there's loads of student nights. And girls get in free before eleven, and boys always buy us drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so we we would go out like four or five times a week. No exaggeration. Mm. Sometimes even seven days a week while at university, and you know, be like late for lectures or like just sleeping in or you know having afternoon naps. Um. And we wouldn't pay anything. We'd be on VIP tables and, you know, guys were like, yeah, come and hang out. We were like the life, me and my friends were the life and soul of the party. We were like that, you know, save the last dance. We'd like to dance off some battles.
1: <laughs> really?
0: I don't know if you got, it's not a big thing in Australia, but garage music, like was a big okay. thing in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like in between uh, house and like, kind of like, I don't know how to explain like dance music's in between the two. And mm-hmm. it was huge. And so we used to have these like garage nights and like big warehouse parties and clubs and yeah it was fun like we would so I, I hid behind that and and so looking back I had I was like just trying to fill myself up with fun yeah and it worked like temporarily you feel great like I'd go out and I'd be, like partying lots of drinking excessive drinking and everything's funny when you're drunk <laughs> <laughs> like, you fall over and you think it's hilarious <laughs> like, you feel no pain yeah. in your high heels and um yeah, so it was fun, and then I experimented with drugs. Actually, drugs really helped me, and it's so bad because um, I use them to medicate myself. Like I use them to sleep. I stuff suffer from what I thought was insomnia. You know, like because you're like I can't sleep because all the nightmares I had before. As I got older, they just continued. But I had just became really good at not sleeping. I just got used to like staying awake, awake till two, three, four in the morning. As a kid, yeah. it was books, and as an adult, it was like watching Friends. Or Frasier's and, you know, like, I used to have v- VHS videos. I don't. Most people probably don't know what they are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, but, yeah, like, I would have the Friends collection and I would just play it until it got, like, 3, 4 in the morning and then you fall asleep because you're so exhausted. But I couldn't just naturally fall asleep. Yeah. And so I would, like, wear out. But then when I was partying, it was great. So then I would just go out all the time and then be completely tired at 6 in the morning. So I just developed this, like, really unhealthy... Um, But but thing is, it's so easy to hide behind that, right? Like, at uni, everyone's doing that. So everyone's just like, she's just a wild party animal. And I kind of was, and that became, like, my title or my identity, so to speak. You know, the entertainer, like, she's the life and soul of the party. She's so funny. And, like, we know if we're going to go out with her, it's going to be fun. Yeah. And I was trying to, like, create fun. I would go on, like, multiple holidays a year, you know, and I worked um, and just, like, made sure that I would... I tried to fill in all the gaps so there was nowhere like any pain or upset could come out like just cover it all up. And
1: were you practicing your Sikh faith?
0: Yeah, so I would go to the temple. I would um so my parents it sounds crazy because it's actually contradictory Sikhism believes in one god, but growing up in Indian culture, um Hinduism and Sikhism is very similar in terms of culture right. and the fa- the families and communities. So pe- my parents were so desperate for answers because my mum had so many miscarriages and sickness in our family a number of things happen and so people would say why don't you try this temple why don't you try this priest or what they say like a guru almost like a prophet and you would go to him and he would he would like read your birth chart um, and based on your birthday and your date of time of birth and then he would he would predict your future and he would say this is why you're struggling in this area because your birth chart says in your last life this happened to you and so they but my parents would take us to the hindu temples growing up so we went to both okay. so i practiced hinduism and sikhism mm-hmm. so in my uh at university i had a shrine in my room with all the hindu gods and stuff like in my you'd open my cupboard with my wardrobe and there was a shelf where you would put clothes but i had a little shrine there mm-hmm. <laughs> and then i would go to the temple and but i would pray pretty much every day and i would have the translation in english and so it was like the right thing to do and but you, because it's an old language, a bit like um old Catholic would be like in Latin in the old days. So yeah. no one really understands it. You just repeat it and hoping that it just goes in your spirit. But I had the translation, but st- like no one really reads the translation. You just repeat the words
1: mm-hmm. over and
0: over again. And then you're like, okay. And you, you kind of want to p- get like just a place where you're like, oh, I feel a bit of peace. Or yeah. you, In your head, you psychologically think, okay, well, I've done a good thing. Like I've done my bit. So then God will hopefully... Hopefully some good things gone up, up there and it will work out. But there's not a two-way communication. It's just one way.
1: And you had studied journalism. Did you go into that field?
0: So I did like some work for BBC. I worked on their websites for a while. And then I did some volunteering work for some other bits and pieces. But I didn't go into it because at the time, um, London is so expensive. And I moved out and I wasn't speaking to my parents. Or I, I don't even remember what happened. Uh, actually, it was a time when I... I started having clinical depression. Like I broke up with a long-term boyfriend that we thought we were gonna get married. And so then oh. that was like the pushing, I think like that just broke the seal for everything else that I'd been trying to hide. This is during uni. And so at that time I was like, I kinda had a meltdown, complete meltdown. I kinda stopped uni and I um, I basically went into depression for eight months, couldn't leave the house. So and this
1: relationship, he broke it off.
0: And we we both broke it up okay. we, like it wasn't working yeah. but like it but we really really loved each other still but it you know uh-huh. like so it was like kind of like we wanted to be together but we just kept arguing about certain points and one of them being the different caste system which is kind of confusing oh yes you know there's caste system which is like we're farmers ancestrally we come from a line of farmers and there's like tailors or cobblers or carpenters so in the old you know hierarchy. Like almost like a class system. Yeah, we were the highest, and he his family were slaves or work like almost like cleaners or pot. You know. Yeah. Um, and so you, like they would still see that as then like it's frowned upon. It's a bit bit like Prince William marrying the the maid. Like yeah. it would be frowned upon. Like you can't marry the maid from the palace. You know. So it was like that. Even though she might be now a CEO, but she came. She's a maid's daughter. You know. Um. So my parents were really against it. Anyway, so a number of things happened and we broke up. So when I got depressed, everyone thought it was because I was uh, broke up my boyfriend. I let them. I didn't want anyone to know. It was because of my abuse, all the trauma was coming up. And it was almost like there was a bucket full. And it was like the last glass that someone had just put in. And it just it just overflowed. And I couldn't stop it. And it was like everything that I had tried to put a lid on it, it just... And I couldn't. And I just had thoughts, like almost thoughts in my head of suicide. And harming myself. And there was a part of me was like, I don't wanna do that. Like, I was actually scared. And there was a voice going, Yeah, just do it. What's the point? What's the point? And it was like a tormenting voice, which I know, I think I feel now looking back at, like at the time I was like, I'm just ill. um And definitely I w- there was an imbalance of hormones, but I also believe there was some spiritual stuff. I believe it was demon- what I believe as a Christian now is demonic. And it's actually a voice that's actually tormenting me. That is not my voice. And I knew I didn't want it. Like, I was sitting there once with a knife in my hand saying, God, I don't want to do this. But there was a voice just like... And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that's not normal. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, after that, I just wanted to, like, get my own place and sort myself out. And journalism was just the harder route. Yeah. So, because obviously, journalism, like, you could... Everyone I knew that worked in journalism, they said they worked for a number of years and they still couldn't get on the field. Like, there's very few people. It's not a lucrative job and i just wanted to be safe because my whole life everything was chaotic so i started to try to control things so i'm like okay if i can get this much money i can live this kind of lifestyle and i can have a nice house and i can create a nice lifestyle so i wanted to have a nice house with nice things cuz it made me feel better that i didn't have that contact with my parents and i didn't have that home and then i wanted the holidays because they kind of kept me you know going and fun and i wanted to have the party lifestyle and the clothes and the designer. So I'm like, I just need to do something for like money, just get some money, because that will just be one less thing to think worry about. Yeah. Because actually, money can help you with a number of practical things. Mm. So I did that. So for a number of years, I worked in sales, in recruitment for the pharmaceutical industry. And I was very good. In my first year, I was top in the company. And so I was like, okay, this is great. Like I'm good at it naturally. I wasn't planning to. I thought I'd just do it for a year or so, make some money, and then go back to journalism. But I just fell into it and made lots of money and then I was just naturally good at it. And, so, and it fed the lifestyle I wanted, like, it, you know? And it was great, I like, got to travel the world, I got to do so much, so, like, yeah. And I made some great friends, I loved it. So I did that for eight years. Oh, eight years. Um, yeah, so I actually transferred from London to Australia with that company. And this
1: whole time you were experiencing the depression?
0: Yeah so I still would have these um what I call functioning depressive so I'm going to work but like I would be that um <laughs> like looking back I was such a mean person <laughs> because I was so like hurting inside so someone would say something like what's your problem I haven't got time for you get out my way like I was that person because all you need to do is press a button that an old wound and it, I would like just there, and everyone would just think oh she just got attitude but really I still hadn't expressed and dealt with some of my emotions. And so I would like, and I needed to control everything at work. It had to be a certain way. And if someone argued with me, I'm like, no. Like, because I was so like, I couldn't let my guard down. I couldn't just be like, okay, cool. Because I was like, so scared of being hurt. Like I had all these walls up. Mm. So I was really good at my job. But as soon as someone questioned me, like gave me some feedback, I'm like, how dare you? Like, (laughs) like, because I was so broken. I couldn't handle any criticism or any like I was like no don't you talk to me like that like but there was truth in what they were saying like they're like hey you shouldn't be doing it like that or maybe you shouldn't talk to a client in that way I'm like well I'm the top in the company so you know it's such a pride so yeah. I hid but you know but the pride was just because I was hurting and I was I was masking it with pride and so yeah like I was good at my job but I had like so many uh communication and Personality issues. They were like, "We, you're great, but like, we just wish you would just calm down sometimes. You're just, you're just so extra." Like, what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> so they sent you to Australia. Yes.
0: Yeah, so there was a new division opening in Australia, and they asked me if I wanted to go. Did you want to go? Like, I had, I was dating this other guy, Yitzhak, yeah, and. Uh, again, it didn't work out. Here we go. Sounds like a pattern. <laughs> and then I was like, this is a sign. Like I, like, I still believe God can give signs. So I was like, mm. maybe it's a sign. Like, had I been with him, I wouldn't have gone. And I was like, I've always wanted to work abroad. Australia was never on my bucket list. Um, but I was like, okay, well, you know, worst, what's the worst case scenario? I go for a year or so. I don't like it. Come back? It's not, you know, but I'm like, it'd be an adventure.
1: Mm. Were you in touch with your family at that point? No,
0: we weren't speaking because... Mm just I was just being wise I think it's really wise to protect yourself so my parents were going through their own stuff and they would just say sometimes things were that were quite mean and not because they were trying to be mean I think that's their normal language just to be the way they express themselves they're like they can't help themselves sometimes just old habits of like maybe you know being derogative or being negative but for me I was trying to build myself up and so I was getting better. I was getting counselling, and then I'd feel a bit look, Okay, I've had a better week. And then I'd speak to my mum, and she'd be like, "Well, you did this, and did it," and just it would take me back there. Mm. And my sister, I ended up being in hospital because she had mental health. She ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar. And I just thought, if I don't get help and protect myself, I'm gonna head that way. Like I knew I had enough wisdom, thank goodness, to like go and get help. Go to the. I took myself to the doctors. I took my. I made sure I get counselling and counseling in the UK looks very different where they do give you like 8 weeks or 12 weeks like you they meet you and they say okay well let's do 12 weeks and then we'll see how we go mm. you know and then they actually say to you after 12 weeks we think you should go and um work out and do the things that we've discussed practice them and then if you want to come back you can come back but actually live your life without counseling for a while mm. so you're not dependent on people which i think is really healthy And so, but I was really good. Like I would have seasons where for six months I wouldn't have counselling, but then I'm like, okay, something's been triggered. I can't stop crying. This is going on. And I would have like a new flashback or a new thing would come up. Out of the blue, nothing would even trigger it. I don't even know how it got triggered, to be honest. And then I would go and get counselling again because I was like, I need to be healthy. Like just to, because otherwise I had times where I'd be at work and I couldn't stop crying and I'd have to run to the toilets. I was just bubbling with all these emotions from a childhood that I hadn't dealt with.
1: Mm. so you did begin to open up
0: i remember going to my first ever counselling session and the woman i was uh, it's an hour session i was 50 minutes late 50 yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, 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 I deliberately was late. like that's the funny oh. thing because i was like i don't want to go i'm not gonna go i was so mad i was so mad at god and life i was like i don't deserve this like i, I hate the fact that i have to talk about it because my whole life was pretend, like I had worked on not talking about it, so it was almost like someone was push forcing me. I'm like, but I knew I had to talk about it, about it, otherwise I wouldn't get better. Like I knew that was the reason I was there. Well, like I, I knew that, so I was like, you're forcing. And I remember saying to her, I said, I was like, I hate you. I said to the counselor, she was like, why do you hate me? She, I think she tried not to laugh, but I was <laughs> deadly serious. I was like this broken little girl in her office and going. And she's like, why? And I was like, I don't. And she goes, well, you didn't. What what happened to you today? I didn't want to come. Okay. She was like, she was so graceful. She was like, why didn't you want to come? And I was like, because you make me talk about it. And I don't want to talk about it. Like, that's what I've been. My whole life is a bit about not talking about stuff. And I've been programmed that way. And it's going against everything you've ever known. Yeah. (laughs) And and I just remember like having to force myself to talk about it. Because I knew I'm like, it's going to get worse. It's not going to go away. And it, it was a journey. And for so long, it was just her and me. So I didn't tell any of my friends, so that my closest friends didn't know. My best friends said, everyone thought it was because of this boy. And I was like, yeah, great, you think that. <laughs> I'd rather you think I'm obsessed with some guy and I'm having trouble with him than you'd think, because there was such a shame attached to I think with um, sexual abuse or um, physical violence, domestic violence, it, or that kind of stuff, there's such a shame attached to it. Like that happened to you. Like, is it almost like there's something wrong with you now? Like it happened to your body. And so there's a connotation, I think, I, I felt at the time, and I think in Asian culture, um, this like, you know, like, you've been... U- I felt almost, you know, how some people would describe, I felt damaged, used goods, and I felt like, I don't want them to look at me like, oh... And I didn't want people to pity me. Mm. I thought people were be like, oh, poor her. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, f- poor me. It happened, it's not who I am, you know? And I thought, they're going to feel sorry for me and treat me differently. Right. And i just didn't want to i just wanted to pretend everything was okay
1: yeah so how was it when you got to australia
0: so australia especially in the summer i don't know if you know this expression they call it like um silly times like you know like it's like this expression where like it gets christmas time and like the summer here gets you know crazy yeah and then a lot of the expats here have what peter pan syndrome do you know about that?
1: I think I can see what you mean.
0: Yeah, it's so a lot of the expats that um, my friends are not Christian. I love you guys, but seriously. Like, they told me this. So I had one friend here from the UK that moved here before I did. And she said to me, she's like, just so you know, there's a bit of a Peter Pan syndrome. I'm like, what are you talking about, Peter Pan syndrome? She's like, there's all these young people, like, like been partying for the last five to seven years. And they're like, just living in the city, drinking, partying hard, and like, just going out. Yeah. And I was like, sounds great. i was like, I'm <laughs> on board with that. <sighs> And so I kind of just adopted that lifestyle and even more so because I didn't have my, I've got nieces and nephews, but I didn't have any family here. So then it meant like I could be more wild. There's nothing grounding me. There was all these other expats and it was quite interesting because some of them, it felt like almost like there's a lot of people running away. So a lot of my friends were British and we all had not similar stories, but stories were like something had happened and we're like, we just want to get away from that situation and come to Australia. So yeah, I just kind of like partied really hard drank a lot uh, got into drugs again and I just remember like going like there was this moment where I was like I can't keep doing this I remember it was my birthday this is a horrible story but it needs to be told (laughs) (laughs) it was my birthday and I went to um Radio Cairo in um Mossman and like I drank it was Wednesday night so it was my birthday on Wednesday night so I was like oh we're not gonna go wild right it's Wednesday I drank so much wine and made myself sick and then the next day I was vomiting, <laughs> projectile vomiting, in the bathroom. I had like an ensuite, but I, like, I was literally on the floor in the ensuite because I couldn't, I couldn't get back to the bed because I thought if I can't make it back, if I need to vomit again, so I remember lying on the floor the next day. My boss was so mad because he had known it was my birthday the night before, so he was like, mm. "Like, you're hungover," but I was like, "I wasn't even hungover. I had made myself sick." I was like, "What am I doing?" Like. I'm actually physically making myself sick. Like this is ridiculous. And like lying on the bathroom floor, like you go through all that. You like your life flashes before you, and you're like, "What am I doing in my life?" Yeah. I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. and you, just, you feel sorry for yourself. You're like, "Poor me." And you're like, <laughs> uh, "But I did this to myself." You know, like, and you have this moment of like, "Is this what I want?" my life to look like. Like mm. and it's funny now when there's a song, a Hill song that we sing at church and it says something like, Where would I be without you? Like I always remember that vision. <laughs> I would be on my floor in my bathroom, like just projectile vomiting and go, and praying like, God forgive me, like help me <laughs> That's where I would be oh, without Jesus. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: So I was wondering this, like, how did you, do you get from that point to being in Hillsong Church? Oh, my
0: God. So that's a crazy story. I'm going to try and give you the quickest version. So growing up in England, we do, a lot of schools are Church of England. So you know yeah. about Jesus. Yeah. And so we did hymns. We did, got the whole world in his hands. I had a girls brigade, which is like a uh, Girl Scouts. Mm. So I used to go to that and they would tell Jesus stories. And that's run by a church as well. And so I would do that. So I kind of knew, but it was kind of like, this is my, so in Sikhism and Hinduism, Hinduism, we believe whatever you're born into is your religion. So like, that's your thing. So we're like, cool, that's your thing. This is our thing. So conversion's not even something we ever talk about. The Mm. only conversion we know is about Islamic conversion, but we don't, Christian evangelistic movement at that time, I didn't know anyone, I hadn't heard of it. Um, But I had this one friend Who I worked with When I was at university And she Was a Pentecostal black um, Jamaican black Her name's Melissa She's the best And um, I remember She tells me the story now We were working together On a mobile phone store Part time And she Saw me selling And I was like The top saleswoman. And I was Like people always say Like you could sell Ice to the Eskimos Like you know Sand to the To the Arabs (laughs) And I'm like Yeah I am the best (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so she saw me sitting at another counter selling, and then the Holy Spirit said to her, and the spirit of like the God's voice said to her, "Hey, tell her about me." right And she was like, "God, what are you talking about?" Because sometimes people are open, they're like asking about religion, or they're open, like I was not looking like I was open, I'm not asking, and he's like, "She's desperate for me, she needs me." And she was like, "Oh, okay, like, but still like kind of thinking, this girl is so sick." So parting, so this world. Like she's not looking for any kind of spiritualism or a new light. You know,
1: mm. she's
0: not curious. She's not even asking about Jesus or anything. Anyway, she just befriended. She just, she just became a really good, good example of how to love people. She just became my friend, and she just loved me. And I remember, you know, I I get this now because pe- I think sometimes people get intimidated by intimidated by me. I was intimidated by her, but not in a bad way. In the sense that I felt like she was such a good person. And I felt like when I was around her, I was so convicted of the stuff that I was doing. I was like, she just spoke with such love and grace. And you could tell she wasn't, she wasn't carrying bitterness or hurt, which I was. And she wasn't masking. She wasn't trying to pretend. She wasn't trying to fit in. And she wasn't sleeping with boys. And she wasn't doing the drugs. And she was so happy because I was happy with that stuff. Mm. and when I was around her I, like I wouldn't tell her about the drugs and the boys because I was like oh my god she's such a good person I don't want to ruin her tell her my, my bad stories of last night <laughs> but, but she had never said I can't say those stories but she just c- carried this presence which I know now is the Holy Spirit but in those I'm like she's such a great person I don't want to say this like almost like you know a priest you don't want to tell the priest like you're, you know the stuff you've done <laughs> the mm. confessions I felt like that but she never ever told me anything she never told me off but she carried this beautiful presence where you would only want to talk about good things around her. And every time I was around her, I felt good about myself. And now I know that she was just led by Holy Spirit. And she just was really encouraging. And I remember one time she would say, come to church. And her church was this big Pentecostal church in Brixton, where with like robes, like... Um, like two thousand people, you know, flags, the modesty cloths, the whole <laughs> <laughs> modesty. Class. Yes, they still use them, and like you know, the whole works. Like there's a choir of a hundred people in robes, like you know. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. It's like something our sister act believe right? Like this amazing. And I remember going there, just being so encouraged because it was like so inspirational, but not really thinking, oh, this is my church, or I want to go here. Still practicing seeker them, and then one time it was women's conference, and she said to me. Um, will you come with me uh, for women's conference And I was like yeah sure because she became my best friend at this point so she would really sew into me really talk to me pray for me all the time I was like okay cool I'll come and then on the week of this women's conference she rings me she says are you coming tonight and it was like Thursday night and I was like I'll come at the weekend like Sunday and she's like no no you have to come tonight it's either tonight or Friday night I was like oh and Friday night was party night, right? So that wasn't going to happen. So it was like 45 minutes, the opposite direction in London, in Brixton. I lived West London near the airport. But I had promised her and I was a woman of my word. So I thought, like, okay, I'll go. And then this woman spoke at the meeting. And I remember at the end... I remember, I'm not telling anyone my business, ever. And she, it was like she was reading my mail. And I believe God could speak. Like, I believe God could speak through the priests and these good prophets that I used to go and see and I'd pay money for. And then she said this might've happened to you. And your mom might've said these words. And it was like words that my mom had exactly said to me. Wow. And she's like, you might've been uh, abused and you might've been kicked out of your home. And this might, like, it was like, she literally like said about five or six key things where I'm like, I I was looking around like, is there someone undercover? like, But, and I almost like, had I told my friend, I'll be like, you told her, you told her, but I had never told my friend. Mm. So I almost wanted to say someone told her. This presence came over me, which I now at the at that time I didn't understand the Holy Spirit because I'd never heard of. I just heard of Jesus and Father God, and so uh, this presence came over me like almost like a rush of energy, like almost like chills, but like a warm chills, like like tingling. Mm. And I remember just falling to my knees and just sobbing uncontrollably, and just feeling, and I but I couldn't understand it, and so I knew something had happened. And they said, "Do you want to re- receive?" they must have said jesus because i was a mess so i didn't even know jesus but i just felt they said god so i was like and also with hinduism they believe that all gods you know so many so i was like yeah i want god so i put my hand up but not thinking i want jesus or i want to be christian i'm thinking i want my god
1: Mm. so i'm
0: thinking my god is using this woman to speak to me Mm -hmm. because my god can do anything you know so i leave there and she's like do you want to talk about what happened and i i didn't know what to say i had no words i was like how do i i i I don't know like what happened i I couldn't explain the the goosebumps and the tingling i couldn't explain me crying on the floor because remember my whole life is about putting on a mask so i'm like i don't do this then fast forward she kept trying to get me to go to a church she's like look i know my church is great but you need a church with your own community i'm like yeah whatever and she was, I kept saying, there's a church just up the street from where I work. And there's a mixed community. There's people from all different backgrounds. Because I'm British Indian. She's, she's like, there's white, black, everything. There's all different backgrounds. So you'd fit in there. So every week we were trying to meet up. But it wouldn't happen. Years went on. Like We would try and go. And either she'd get sick or I'd get sick or I'd get busy. And in that time, things were just happening with my family. I was still getting depression in and out. So I was just like, I can't face it. And she was like, okay. Anyway, fast forward. I come to Australia. And um, there's moments where I'm like lying on the floor, vomiting, and I'm like, what am I doing? I need to have some normal friends where I'm not making myself. I'm not, all my friends were just partying and drugs and, you know, people. So there was this one guy that worked with me, Davin, he's amazing. And um, him and his wife, like we all hanged out as a group with a couple other couples. And I don't know, there was just something different about them. I didn't even know they were Christian, but they carried a presence of just like, they were just so kind. And they would go out, but they would never speak badly about someone never gossip i just saw some really good traits like and they would always be like okay when it got too wild like okay we're gonna go home now like we're not gonna stay out till four in the morning we'll be done at 12 or one so they have fun but it was a you know they were just i don't know and i just felt like they were grounded almost like they they were sensible and so i thought i need to hang out with them because they're fun but they're not crazy because i'm i just don't know where to stop like i have no boundaries so I said to them, hey, like, let's do lunch on Sunday. And they're like, oh, we go to church. And I'm like, cool, I've been to church before. I'll come. <laughs> so I invite myself to this church. And I walk into, and Ho- behold, um, Hillsong City Campus. So I walk, walk in, I remember it was May 2000 and maybe 2014, I think. And then I walked in and I can't, I actually don't remember the message at all. But I just remember the same thing happens. So at the end, she started saying stuff and I'm on the floor again a mess and I'm like this is not a coincidence because I've been backpacking around Thailand on my own I've moved to another country I don't fall apart because someone said a few words like that's just not even my you know but I felt the same that tingling and this I could not whatever it was I couldn't deny it and I I I, again I couldn't understand I I put my hand again but again I didn't think I was being Christian so I just like I want my god but I went home and I said, God, I don't understand this. And I said, God, if this is you, then show me. I said, I'm going to keep going back. Because I felt encouraged by the message. I didn't want to be in- Christian, but I felt like the theology and the, what they were saying, like, love and God loves you. I was like, whoa. Because all my life, I thought God hated me because that's why I was suffering. Mm. So I was like, this, is, like, God loves me? Like, what? This is, you know, like, it was such a radical thing. But, and I was like, I was so desperate to hear that. And I was like... I want to know more and so I didn't understand and actually to be honest I was like I don't want Jesus why would I want Jesus son of God I want the main guy God (laughs) like who wants second and come on like you know like I want the big guy the man the main man like I'm gonna go straight to God right yeah not because you know like you're like what's this I have to go through Jesus why like God is God like you know Sure. so you just I didn't even understand what this whole Jesus thing I'm like I want God full stop and so, I, and I was go, bearing in mind, I was still visiting the temple here in Glenwood. So I was coming out to Glenwood to pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wasn't looking for a new religion. Mm. And so then I went home and then this incredible thing happened, Rachel. Like the Holy Spirit took over my life, which sounds stupid, but it's insane. So I would go out partying off my face on drugs on a Saturday night and I'd wake, I'd get in like five in the morning, four in the morning, six in the morning, and I'd get up to eight, nine o'clock. Oh, I need to go to church. Like this, Like, compulsion. Like, you know, like, when it's like, you know you need to be somewhere. And like, you're like, I gotta go. Like, I should go there. Like, this, like, hunger. And week after week, I would just keep going on my own. And I would sit there. No one even took me. No one inviting me. And I started, I would just cry every time, just crying. But it was like this crying of like, I felt like the message, whatever the message would be like, it's okay, I've got you. It's okay, like, it's okay that happened. It's okay, I love you. And it was just like, things just started to fall off. All those layers that I had built up, and all those things, all those barriers that I kind of like, I don't want to let anyone in. I don't want to, you know, like, I don't want to tell anyone. It's almost like God was saying, I know. I know what happened. I'm, you know, I'm here. And I know you're hiding behind the drinks and the drugs. And it's okay. Like, and I felt like every time I went there, like something would fall off. And I feel like, and I'll be sobbing. And then as soon as the service was done, I was like, I'm okay. I'm like, oh, okay. But it, it was like, God was healing me. And I was just, I couldn't deny what was happening in my heart. So my head was saying, but you're not Christian. What are you doing here? But my spirit, like now I know my spirit, man, My and my soul was so hungry. And I kept getting drawn back. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going. And the moment I think it's not quite right, or didn't agree with it. I'm going to question it. And maybe I won't go again. But I I wanted, I almost wanted to argue, but I couldn't. So May, I started going. And I remember it was like, around August time, I was like, I think I want to, but it wasn't like one defining moment, like today's a day, like, you know, like, it was like stirring and like I was getting used to the idea of maybe I think I do I'm not sure what about this I'd had a i had ai still had a million questions but I this is hilarious because I um I wanted to find out more because I was like if people ask me if I decide to be a Christian and people say why are you a Christian why did you move from Sikhism mm. I can't just say because I had a feeling yeah you know like I was like uh, that's gonna like I was like I was so worried what people would think <laughs> as we do and so I did, I didn't do Alpha, which is the Christian new person c- course, or I didn't do discovery, what they do at, co- you know, church, where they like explain a bit about the Bible after the service. I did evening college theology. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I, I was ready for a fight. I was like, I was like, that's it. I'm going to ask them everything. Like I wanted to argue. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not getting sucked into this cult. Like I literally told, like I was like, that's it. Yeah. If they I'm going to go there and I'm, I didn't go to learn I was going to like argue to like find out if they're lying to me or not okay fair <laughs> like, enough <laughs> and I was determined to like I'm going to catch them out if they're trying, if they're trying to fool me yeah and so I had Tracy who's um, an amazing theology teacher and I remember just asking her so many questions I'm like what about this how do you know that's true how do you know? and everything she spoke I was like I tried to argue with her, but I couldn't she's like so we believe that it's not about it's about um, loving people being in the kingdom of God I'm like that makes sense like it feels right like I've always believed that we're all here on a purpose on, on, on the earth like even as a non-christian I believe that if we can make a difference to one person and she's uh, I think that's great that's what we're here to like build up other people and like you know live a good life. and I was like that makes sense so like everything I questioned she would say something I'm like in my heart would be like that that feels right and I know that to be who I am mm-hmm. and I remember people saying to me you're too nice you should be um you should be more cutthroat. You shouldn't let people get away with like. You should put your foot down and you should be mean because, you know, life's mean. You should get back at people. And I was like, no, I don't believe that. I believe you live a life as a good person. You honour people and you do the right thing. You'll be successful. Like, But they're like, no, that doesn't work. And I remember having to harden myself because people would say. And so mm. when she was saying those things about loving and honouring and, you know, placing value, and I was like, that's what I used to believe. Like it was all that the old me that came, you know, was coming back. And I was like, This is this is actually me, and the Bible talks about um, the law is written on our hearts, and it was almost like that. Like it was like everything that was written on my heart, like I already knew was true. She was just going, "Hey, do you remember that? Do you remember? Like that's who you are. Like you, you want to help people. You want to love people. Like you have a natural compassion."
1: You're listening to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 46 with Lena Lally. Now here's an excerpt from my conversation with John Halabi. Okay, I think love is a massive thing. Generosity is also something big. Because I've seen what it's like not to have anything. And I've seen what it's like to go Christmases without eating and and all that sort of stuff. And not having family around. Compassion is a big thing as well. Like, I just never ever want people to go through what I've been through. And if I can do anything to sort of stop that, then I feel like that, my, that God's done his job through me. That was an excerpt from my interview with John Halabi in episode 41. And now back to this conversation with Lena Lally.
0: I heard someone say about um hearing God's voice. People always say, I heard God say and I heard God say. I'm like, what is this heard God say? Like where are you hearing God? Like yeah. at this point I'm not hearing God.
1: Yeah.
0: So I go, I had to ask my friend Michelle, who's Davin's wife. And I was like, what's this deal with hearing God? And I really believe if God is our father, we're all children, we're equal. Like we like I would have the I can get that. So I'm like, how do I get this like what's the deal with this tell me <laughs> like, yeah just I was so hungry because I'm like finally if this is the real thing I want it like I want all of it I don't want like I know what it looks like without it I felt like this is working like I'm feeling better so I'm like I could see like two percent maybe or not even 0.2 percent like it was I was improving so I'm like what if I did more of it like let's see if it works if two percent works then yeah yeah so I was like so she talked to me about hearing God's voice about being still and about meditating on god and like actually hearing that inner voice like almost your conscience like which is like your inner voice you, you know your gut feel where that like christian saying your gut comes from the holy spirit like lives in your gut and so i was like okay and i remember like as soon as and as soon as i started praying those prayers, and i was like i was just adamant like they say childlike faith i was like well god's gonna to talk to me i'm his daughter like it's matter of time like I know you're gonna to talk to me God I'm just waiting I'm just waiting and mm. I was de- I was just adamant I, and I would pray that every day I'm like and I remember God started speaking to me and I started hearing God's voice audibly
1: wow yeah
0: <laughs> and I don't know how like he started told him, telling me about people at co- church and I would start what I didn't know it was called prophecy but I'm like God told me they're this so I would say for example I might tell you something like God told me that you're you're gonna move out your house and you're like thinking that all your flatmates gonna move out of your house thinking that you already know that and you're like how do you know that and I'm like don't you know that I thought God told you as well because I assume God told us all the same yeah yeah I'm like why would he keep it a secret from you like it's your flatmate
1: <laughs> that is happening to me oh, what are you serious <laughs> yes
0: oh my goodness I
1: found that two days okay. ago
0: okay so that's another thing that happens to me a lot (laughs) prove my point okay so yeah sorry about that (laughs) no it's all it's fine no so um, awkward it's not it's
1: it's a fine
0: situation Holy Spirit yeah I know but it's funny that Holy Spirit's like okay let's just talk about that of all the scenarios I could have said I'm like (laughs) that's That's so funny funny. so um, yeah and I, I assumed God speaking to everyone at the same time I didn't understand how it works so I would go up to church and say I said to my leader, that girl's gonna leave. And she was like, How, like, why would you say that girl's gonna leave church? And then a few months later, I did. So first they thought that I was a bit crazy because I would just say, and I didn't have the delicate Christianese way of saying things like, oh, wow. I feel like there's something on my heart. like, like <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I would just be like, so God told me. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you're gonna do this. And they're like, what, what are you talking? And then it would, months later, it would come to pass. But then I started hearing God on the streets. So I'd go up to, the first time was ever, like I was still doing still doing self-medicating drugs to sleep. So I was hung over and kind of still stoned from the night before. And I fell asleep at my friend's house and I was walking through the city and there was this guy, homeless man begging and it was at the crossroads and God said, the 10 bucks you were going to spend on the taxi home, give it to him. And I was like, oh, that sounds nice. Like that's the kind of thing God would do because I was still practicing hearing God's voice. And I was like, well, even if, because they were saying, well, even if, it's not a bad thing, like if it's encouraging or good, like, you know, go with it. And I'm like, okay, that's a good thing to do. It's not a bad thing, like if God. So I give him the ten bucks. I walk ten steps forward. This is in Pitt Street. And God says, Turn around and tell him I love him and he's not alone. I'm like, what 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 are you t-? like this moment trying to like argue with God in my head. I'm like, God, he's gonna think I'm crazy and I love it. I'm worried about what the homeless man is gonna think about me and how I'm dressed and what he's gonna think. Mm. It's like you know, like we're so crazy, like we we have such a fear of what people think that it stops us even helping people sometimes. Yeah. But as I was doing that, I was like, God, I don't know how because my prayer before that was like, God, help, use me to help people. I said, like, I just want to make a difference. Like, if I can help one person, I made a difference. You know, I want to be known for like when they say your bitchy, what did you, this woman do? What was her legacy? Oh, she would always help someone. That's all I wanted to be known as. So I walked back to him as I was saying that and I was arguing with God, like, what am I going to do? How can I say this? I literally felt the Holy Spirit the presence of God like take over because the next thing you know you really don't realize but you're like you're standing in front of the person and I was like hey I'm Christian this might sound crazy and I've never done this before I'd never seen anyone do it because I'd only been a Christian for like months and I said I feel like um, like, um I want to tell you and then as soon as I started speaking God started speaking like almost like a earpiece Mm-hmm. In my ear, like saying, and say this, and say this.
1: And that's just coming like a thought, or like a sound, or
0: it's like a thought, like a a, thought. A, So it sounds like you know, like you know, a bit like so you're like, oh, I got to remember to pick up
1: mm-hmm. the
0: groceries or this laundry, or it's like that, like an inner voice. Yeah. So it's not like a big outside voice; it's like an inside voice. Mm-hmm. And so we'll just be like, and but in that moment, it's like a flow. You just it's like a thought just flowing through. Mm-hmm. So he's, but you know, it's not you because you're having information that you don't have. So he's like. Tell him that he's not to give up. Tell him that he's going to get his house. He's going to get his car. He's going to get his house and um, his life restored. And I was like, you're not going to... And I was, I was kind of like, my heart was beating fast. And I could feel that tingling on my body again. Like, So there was a presence of what I know is God. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I knew I was in this moment with God. And so, I, and it didn't feel horrible. It felt like, okay, something's happening, but good happening. Mm. Um, like a rush of adrenaline. Like a adrenaline kind of almost. So I started speaking to him and then God said, ask him about his mom. I said, is there something going on with your mum?" And he said, yeah, my mom's sick. And I was like, can I pray for her? So I was like, he's like, yeah. And I was like, what's her name? Margaret. And then I was like, God, I pray for Margaret, pray for healing. I'd never done this before. It's all God telling me all like, that. Mm. And then <laughs> then after that, um, she, then God said to him and I said to him, don't you dare give up. I said, you wanted to give up? And I felt the sense that God was saying that he was suicidal, that he wanted to give up. And I said, don't you dare give up and he was like okay and his eyes were welling up i said god loves you god sent me for you today and she was like okay and like taking deep breaths and then i said to, god said he started to pray this week i said did you start praying this week he goes yeah i just started wow and there was this moment i was like don't you dare stop i said i'm here because you prayed god sent me He was like okay yes like you know like shocked and he's mm. like thank you so much and then i like i didn't know what else to do kind of, i just kind of walked off like yeah and i was like you know that shaking like what just happened and I had never seen it happen because other people say oh that's kind of cool in Christian circles people are like I want to learn how to pray for people and learn to hear that voice but it was just a supernatural gift mm. and I think the crazy thing is I was still hung over and stoned from the <laughs> <laughs> and I just think God is so gracious because he actually looks at your heart yeah. like my intent was like I wasn't doing the drugs because I was recreationally just like I was actually self-medicating to trying to help myself and still coming from PTSD and all the other things and not being able to sleep. Yeah. Having insomnia all my life until Jesus healed me. And then I remember going past Zara in Pitt Street and I was like, God, what just happened? Like, like quivering. And he was like, um, he's like, I'm going to get you to do a lot more of that. And I'm like, what? And he's like, is that okay? And I'm like, I just, I never know how to say no to God. Like when God's speaking, I don't know when people say to me that, well, God told me to do that. I'm like, this is the God of the universe. Like he created the stars. Like I was in awe that Mm. he would even talk to little of me. Yeah. (laughs) And especially because I had so many years of like empty prayers as a non-Christian. And so in Sikhism, you never hear back. This is one way. So I'm like, this is amazing. God's speaking. So I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Like whatever you say, you're pretty, you've got a good idea. I'll trust (laughs) you, you know? Like I know you're good. That's all I know. I don't know anything else. And then, as I said, okay, God. And I said, but how can I? Because I was thinking, how am I going to go around talking to people? I don't know what I'm doing. And he goes, because I'll be with you. And then I saw this vision of Jesus, at, like just like a vision like in front of me, and I'm like, sobbing, like uncontrollably, undone at 10 a.m. or 9.30 a.m. in the morning on a Saturday outside Zara. And he's like, when when you look, I'll be there. And if you don't look, I won't. So it's like, if you need me, I'll mm. be there. And in that moment, like, everything changed for me and after that i couldn't stop i couldn't turn it off and the voice just get louder and louder and then i thought okay this is cool and i would pray for people at work i would know stuff about people it just kept growing um and then coming to a question about bible college there's a verse in the bible it's jeremiah twenty nine eleven talks about i have plans to prosper you and not harm you, you know uh, plans for hope for a future i'm like so gods you had plans for my future so that means when i was born when you were knitted in your mother's womb and other verse I think it's like in the Psalms it talks about he knitted us in our mother's womb with plans and purposes and I just think at that point God designed something for me and I was meant to be maybe I don't know journalist or a teacher or whatever right but obviously I had just done my own life and fallen into sales and fallen into my own plans right but I'm like what if I had grown up in a Christian home and I had grown up listening to God's voice and being directed I picked a university that he thought was good I picked a course you know like I'd heard him his where would I be I was like God I just want to know what was your plan for me like it's never too late I could still do something and I thought oh, I'll do a, an organ I was um top of my company so I was like oh, I'll do a charity or something I'll be great at that I'll start an NGO and I just remember praying for a whole month before conference saying God I just want to hear whatever it is and I remember going into conference and I put my hands up to worship the first song, I said God I don't know what you're going to say but I'm just really expecting and I really want to hear whatever you say and I just thought he might say just chill enjoy your work and just carry on where you are (laughs) and the first song he just so loud it was like go to bible college and i was like like it was like a thunder in my heart when you know it's god but and it wasn't a conscious thought and um i went to the info session i remember just crying because i knew i couldn't ignore it because i had been praying i want your will yeah and then that was his will so that was march in April, I kind of said yes, and in May, in May I quit my job of eight years, and I had debt on oh my credit cards, and I was like, and I was like, God, I can't do this. Like, I have debt. Can I pay off my debt and go in January? He was like, No. I want <laughs> you to, I want you to trust me because the Bible talked about like, he's your provider, and I, I think it's great. I'm like, Yeah, God will give me free money and like help me, and he's like, But you've never known. He goes, You've made so I had created this empire of money and wealth and designer stuff. I like, I had never I didn't let anyone help me. And he's like, I want you to trust me and not do it on your own. And he's mm. like, will you go with the debt and just trust me? I was like, okay, God. And then I did that. And then July I started. And I did three years of Bible college. And I, I did a six-month break in between um, after my second year. And then I graduated last year, December 2018.
1: Then when it came to sort of unpacking the abuse that had happened to you and everything that you'd been through... Was that a process? Was that a moment?
0: Yeah. I felt, I was so mad at God because I've like, because i done counselling as a non-Christian. Yeah. And I firmly believe that counselling really helps. Like there's incredible people to, um, you know, help navigate that are experts and know what they're doing and trained. And yeah. I believe God gives people and gives talents to people to help us. You know, so, but what I found with non-Christian counselling was they were very good at like, um, you create a good self-awareness. So you're like, Because of this abuse, that means you don't trust people. Because of this abuse, that means um, you find it hard to make relationships or talk about it or you feel shame. So they'll talk about all the issues, but they didn't take away the pain. Yeah. And it didn't take away the the memories and the flashbacks. And so what they often will say to you, because I had clinical depression for eight months where I was on medication that time. They'll say, because you've been there and you've opened that door, like in your mind, there's a possibility that you could go there again. So I lived in fear. So there was this whole thing of like, I understand they're they're thinking about it because they're trying to be just be self-aware. But then there was this part of me, like every time I got into a relationship and it was going to break off or something was going to happen or a friendship or something would go wrong, I'd be like, is this going to be the trigger? So I felt like, is this going to be the thing that's going to push me over the edge? Like, am I going to go into that deep pressure? And it was such a dark hole and it was... I remember being in that depression and like thinking I was never going to graduate because it was during university. I never was going to be able to, because I was on medication and some medication can make you have side effects. And one of my side effects was it made me numb. So I couldn't, because I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel happy either. And so I just remember feeling dead inside. And ideally I should have gone back to the doctors and said, can you change my medication? But I didn't have wisdom. Like I was just trying to do it on my own because I didn't want to tell anyone what I was going through. And I just, the thought of being in that black hole, I didn't even think I could even get a job. I couldn't leave the house, It was housebound. So I was like, I can't go out there. The thought, I was like, you know. And so I was constantly fearful of like, and so that's why I was used to control everything with so much fun and masking everything and like wearing a mask and looking fabulous and getting compliments for my designer clothes and my makeup and my hair and everything. And so when I started Bible college, God started talking to me about those things again. He's like, okay, let's talk about the abuse. I'm like, what do you mean talk about the abuse? I've freaking been talking about it for all these years. Like, I'm done with it. And he's like, but you haven't done it with me. Mm. And it was so hard because I was so mad at God. And I was so mad. I was like, it's not fair because obviously it wasn't my fault. It happened to me. And it was so horrible what happened. And I was like, I don't want to go back there all the time. I'm sick of it. I just, I really want to just like almost delete my old life. And there is this concept, as Christians, we believe that the old is gone. When you accept salvation and you receive Jesus Christ, you have a new beginning. But there's a process of sanctification and we have free will and we have to give our stuff to Jesus. And we have to go, God, this is my pain and I want to talk about it and give it to you and I want to let it go. And surrendering as we talk about. And so God's like, you've got all this stuff that you haven't given to me. And it's true, I just put it in a kind of box and I didn't want to ever open that you know box of like, old memories and so God forced it out of me in a way <laughs> because we were I'd be in class and as the Holy Spirit and like you'd feel the presence of God it was just like I would have like flashbacks during class during worship and looking back it probably was the hardest but also the best environment because I was in a Christian community and it was okay to cry and it was okay to um you know like get on your knees and worship and just like cry and you know, I had to go through counselling again. But it was different this time because I was, I would, God will bring up a flashback and I would say, okay, God, what happened? And I would find out exactly what happened. And he's like, but as a kid, you never talked about it. So let's talk about it now. Or you never cried. And I remember just crying for hours. And I was like, am I getting sick again? Is this depression? Because that's what sometimes depression can look like. But for me, actually, it looked like letting go. So it was actually, I was Grieving and what Christians were called it purging like letting go all that stuff that I had held inside and I hadn't dealt with and it's almost like I remember um, the story of the bleeding woman in the Bible and she was bleeding for is it 13 years I think
1: yeah 12 or or 13 years
0: and she basically and in those days the Bible talks about she would be living on the outskirts of community because um, she wouldn't be accepted because you feel bleeding you're unclean for the Jewish community so basically you're not and you're cursed they think you're cursed. And so they think that you're not allowed to even live in the normal community. You have to live on the outskirts. And she came and she, like, pushed past all the crowd. The thousands of people were there because Jesus was in town. And she pushed past everyone. And she touched the hem of his garment, just the robe, like the little hem, because she thought, if I can just get close enough, he'll I could get healed. Like, she was like, I know that. And I felt like that with Jesus. I felt like, if I could just get close enough with him, like, he can heal me, because he had healed me in other things. And I was like... Mm. And I was just constantly going back. I was like, okay, God, I want you to heal me again. I'm just going to open my heart again. I'm just going to come past. And sometimes it felt like every day was this battle because all the other anxieties and fears and all the layers of walls I had put up were all the people in the way. Because I had put up like, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm done with it. You know, all my... I am I just want to pretend I'm okay. I just want to be a Christian now. I don't want to bring up my Sikhism, my Hinduism and my oppression. And I want, I've already forgiven my family. Why do I want to live all the things my mom and my dad might have said to me when I was younger I want to let that go but until you lay it down it doesn't disappear Mm. and so like college was really hard because for me I was a brand new Christian and I didn't know there was a rainbow in the bible I remember asking people is there a rainbow in the bible and most people do that Sunday school like there's you know a rainbow and Noah and I'm like and they were like but I would hear God's voice. This is the funny thing. So I would come up to people in my class. I'm like, so God, told me this morning you were praying this. And he said that this is the answer. And they're like, how do you know what I said to God this morning? This That's crazy. That's weird. Because they were just like so dumbfounded that like someone who didn't know the theology, didn't know the Bible, but could hear God so clearly.
1: Mm. And I had
0: such a relationship with God. Mm. So it was so hard for me because I had this gifting that I didn't understand. I thought it was normal. And I assumed it everyone would have it why would God just give it to me and there were some individuals but I heard God very clearly and yeah but I had to go on that journey again and but I honestly can say after like all that time I'm completely healed like I can openly talk about my abuse, and like even my blog is openly going to be talking about it and talking about the things I went through because I think it will help others but I remember like one of my heroes is Joyce Meyer and she talks about her father who abused her, which is so hard, I can't even imagine. And she talks about it and she's like, she's like, i am never say that I would wish it upon anyone. Of course it was horrible, but she's like, I wouldn't be the person I am had it not happened to me. I wouldn't have had the compassion. I wouldn't have got to know God at the deep level of intimacy. I wouldn't have been able to maybe help all the people I've been able to help, all the books I've written and the people that have been impacted because of my story. And I was like, how can she say that? Like, she's okay with it because it's something so good has come of it. I'm like, it's, no matter what, it's terrible. And I remember thinking, as a, like just hearing her sermon, like as a very new Christian, like a few months in, going, I wish one day I can say that. And I really feel like I can say that now. Like I can say, it was horrible what happened, but the, the amazing stories that have come out of it are so worth it. Like, I remember being a non-Christian and none of my friends said, been through any really trauma and so I couldn't they couldn't relate to me that like, oh that's so sad that happened to you that but I was like I wish I could help someone with this and then when I started a Bible study group like a connect group from church three or four of the girls in my group had actually encountered abuse and so it was almost like God knew and he sent them to me mm. and so when they told me they're like hey I need to tell you something this is what happened to me and that's why I struggle with trusting men or I struggle with um you know receiving compliments because I feel uncomfortable. I got it I was like I get it and I'm so sorry I knew what to say because often people are like oh what do I say this is awkward I knew exactly how to love them I knew exactly how to embrace them and just be kind and just like go it's okay and just go on the journey with them and just like be their friend and just kind of keep encouraging them and getting them help or going get counselling and tell them my journey I'm like I can't believe all the stuff I went through is actually able to help someone else now
1: wow that's beautiful And you mentioned in there your blog. So can you tell us a bit about what you're up to now? You've just launched this blog officially yesterday.
0: Yes, I'm kind of dying at the moment all the time. I always say that you have to kind of get over yourself when you're a Christian missionary. So I'm actually a missionary now. So as of December 2018, like like the 4th, the day after graduation, I got offered by someone um, to go to Papua New Guinea to um, minister to people and then the door just kept opening, and then someone will pay for the next trip, but so, I meet people, so the last 11 months, I have not had an income, I've had just 98% of the money has come from people I've just met in a church community, or a dinner, or like a friend of a friend, or someone saying, hey, I feel like I want to bless you with money, I want to pay for your ticket, I want to, you know, I want to, I really believe God's using you, I can see, and I've just seen the most amazing miracles, and Got to pray for um, the Papua New Guinean Prime Minister.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: like just, I got to like meet um, some incredible celebrity people and just like saw people healed of mental illness, completely healed of mental illness within instantly praying. I saw a paralysed boy um, healed. Like he literally got movement in his arm again in Papua oh. New Guinea. Um, Someone with MS healed.
1: Oh. Like
0: just um, a girl that had schizophrenia, bipolar and um she was on medication within a within five days we prayed and she's like I don't think I need my medication and I said to her look I would recommend you go to the doctors and talk to them and say I'm feeling better and like maybe go reduce the medication bit by bit and explain you know because I I did that which is really crazy people say you shouldn't do that just so you know people who are listening you shouldn't just come off your medication because your the chemicals react Mm. and but she felt really strongly that no I feel completely better and she's She's been on medication for years and she's completely fine.
1: Wow, that's
0: huge. And yeah, and she was diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar and it's gone completely. And so I just saw these miracles that it's been in a wild journey. And then I was in, I felt like God was always saying, tell your story. And that's part of the reason why I'm here today. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to do it. It's just another thing, especially when you're on mission because you're traveling so much. I don't have like a regular structure kind of like, I can set two hours aside, three days a week, and write because I could be traveling on Monday and then in the slums on Tuesday and then somewhere else on Wednesday on a boat somewhere. But I do get normally one or two days rest in the whole week. Like, but it just doesn't look in regular structure. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Oh, there's never a good time. And God's like, Yeah, there's never a good time. <laughs> you, just, you know, like that's true. Like, yeah. and I felt like God's like, Get over yourself. And I was telling you earlier, God woke me up in the middle of the night and He gave me Romans 8:8, 8, 8, and which says. Um, god is not pleased with being ignored and i was like i'm not ignoring you i'm in indonesia right now like so dramatic i'm like look at me i'm following you god i'm a mission like a missionary and he's like you don't get to pick and choose obedience like you know like if your boss you know this rachel like your boss says i want it in the yellow color for that presentation and that content and you did it in red but you did everything else right you haven't actually done the job Mm. and it's almost like that we're like we sometimes i will go to india which i did but I'm like, I won't do a blog. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, so silly. Like, we argue with God over these silly things. I'm like, no, it's not fair, God. And he's like, just be obedient in the small things. Um, and I just think I can't sit down and talk to everyone. But this is great because I get to talk to people and share my story here. And I think the blog is a place where I can also interact with people. Mm. And I feel I started doing prophetic words, like daily words to people. and saying, I feel God's telling me someone is to be encouraged about... Um, healthy friendships or something, mm. and then I would have like fifty people replying to me. A lot of my non-Christian friends as well saying that was really useful. Like I needed to hear that. I've had some unhealthy friendships recently, and that was really that really spoke to me. The whole reason I do this is because I know what it feels like to be in pain and suffering, and I I know firsthand that it's possible not to have that. Like I used to always think I was always going to have depression and just be functioning with drugs and alcohol and I know people now who are in their 40s, and 45, married with kids, and they're still doing drugs and alcohol to kind of numb the pain, because they're like, well, it works, and it's functioning, but actually, you don't need that, like, I haven't touched that, I don't drink anymore, I can, I I have a glass of wine a month, if that, but honestly, I'm so content, I, Rachel, it sounds crazy, I'm 38 years old, and I don't have a partner, not yet, anyway, um, and I do want a partner one day. Um, so I don't have a partner. I don't have a regular income. I don't have a house. I've been living out of a suitcase for two years. I have no regular church community because I'm always traveling in each country. I don't have a connect group, like a Bible study. I don't have a leader or a mentor. Like I check in with my leader back here probably four times, five times a year, if that. So I can literally count the ha- phone calls on my hand, like of how many people I've spoken to while I was traveling. But I'm more content and happier than I was earning 150,000 living in Darling Harbour, going on five holidays a year, including Vegas and IB five a year. And I have so much joy and peace that I'm able to sit with complete strangers in a different country in another, like in 47 degree heat in Rajasthan in India, you know, with no air conditioning mm. and actually just hug people and like tell them that they're loved and that it's going to be okay. And I have so much to give. It doesn't make sense. Like, I'm even I've got friends who are not Christian back home and they're struggling in their marriages and they have a great house and they have the income and they have a great the kid is beautiful but they're struggling in areas, they're still empty. And they're like, how are you helping and encouraging us? Like we're comfortable, like you're the one in the middle of nowhere and you don't know when you're gonna get your next meal or your plane ticket. But there's this joy that comes from being healed and being knowing Jesus that cannot come from anywhere else Mm. and what and once you get that you don't care about the other stuff I feel so content I I like makeup and I like nice things but I'm like I could take it or leave it but before I was like that makes me feel better
1: and that doesn't make me
0: feel better anymore Mm. Jesus is enough
1: I'm wondering just a couple more questions to finish on I'm wondering if you could kind of I guess just sum up for us what is the core of what you believe now
0: so I really believe in um, the Bible, I really believe that in the Holy Spirit, I believe that the Holy Spirit exists, I know some Christians don't believe that, I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us, he engages with us, he guides us, he's my best friend, like he tells me what country to go to, he knows what I'll like, he knows my thoughts, like I'll think oh I haven't had pizza in months because I'm travelling in Asia and the woman I'm staying with will like text me and go Oh do you want pizza like Mm -hmm. literally like he knows the little things and I believe that God loves everyone and God's literally reaching out to people I meet complete strangers in the middle of a busy busy city or a desert and he will tell me he's like hey tell her that that thing that she's struggling with or that she's depressed it's okay I'm gonna heal her or tell her that thing that happened to her as a child he's sorry and we're gonna pray for healing And they're like, how do you know that? We just met. But because God tells me that information because he wants them to be healed and them to know he's real. And I just see God chasing down people, literally. Like he's literally knocking. And I feel like most people always say there's the universe or something out there. But I really believe that. Everyone's seeking because they're desperate for something, like a bigger answer than the everyday life. But they just don't know it's Jesus. And so I always believe there was a God, but I really believe Jesus is the answer. And if you have a relationship through him and you receive the Holy Spirit and you say, okay, Holy Spirit, I want to know who you are. He'll come into your heart and you'll feel his presence. And it's almost like having a crazy thing. Sounds like having an imaginary best friend. And the, this is a crazy story. So when I was seven, my imaginary best friend was Aslan the Lion oh. from the C.S. Lewis book. Yeah. C.S. Lewis is a Christian theologian and an author who wrote children's book to tell the story of Jesus. And the lion is called Aslan. And Aslan is um, the representation of Jesus. Like he's this big, courageous lion who protects the children in the book. Mm-hmm. But he's also scary because you don't want to mess with him. <laughs> but I was obsessed with that. And mm-hmm. I remember being scared now looking back at the kid. And like I was like, want to go to the toilet at night, and I'm like, Aslan, come to the toilet with me. Aslan, cross the road with me. And God's like, I was always there. You just couldn't see me. And I think if you look back, people are like, yeah, I kind of had that when I was a kid. Or I went to a Christian Bible study on a Sunday. Or I went to a thing at um, school, like, you know, a church thing of scouts or girls' brigade. I just believe that everyone knows there's something there. And I feel like if they just go, okay, God, if you're real, give me a moment, they'll have their own moment. And just to finish off what's next for you? So I'm actually right now praying for finances as always literally sometimes I get the money like on the day like people will be like hey God tell me to bless you so the finances will hit my account and then I'll buy a ticket um, which usually happens so I'm going to Kansas City, Missouri and we have a Hillsong church there uh, I met some people when I was at Vision Rescue in India which is an incredible organisation who um, they educate kids in the slums so I went there and I helped volunteer at Vision Rescue for a couple of weeks and I met this couple and I had visions that I was praying and helping the disciple of the family so I felt like God was like that's where you're gonna go so I'll be there for two weeks and then I'm not sure where exactly after that I think there will be a season of settling where I'll have a base hopefully because I haven't had a like a permanent home for two years and um, but I do think um the blog definitely crowned Lena mm. and then also Where can
1: people uh, get to that?
0: So if you go to um Crowned Um I think it's crownlena.com I'll send you the details. And you just Lena Lally, Lena well L W N A underscore Lally is my Instagram, so you can follow me on there and I do prophetic words. But yeah, if you can, that will be a thing. And I think I'm gonna start a podcast, which I didn't want to do, but you're inspiring me Rachel (laughs) you're like Rachel's like yeah do it Lena it's so easy just do it yeah and I'm like yeah that's what God says to me (laughs) he's like just just get over it you'll be fine like I'll I'll be crying I'm like god I'm so tired I'm so over it and he'll be like yeah but you'll be fine Mm -hmm. like he's like the ultimate coach you know like I imagine like an athletic coach like of like an Olympic trainer going I know you're tired just keep going yeah and I feel like God saying that you have so much more capacity in you Mm. so I'm like I said this I did my launch yesterday for my um um, blog and everyone was like so what's next and I was like just watch this space because I feel like he's gonna make me do a million things I could just feel it so I've decided like I'm like I'm not gonna argue with God he knows best and it's worked so far like I've When I were left in December, people, I had no income and no money and I just went and God, people were like, are you crazy? Like, why would you do that? But it works. So I'm like, if it works, I want to keep going with it until it doesn't work. So let's see what happens next.